0: There are a lot of extraordinary challenges that girls face around the world, and that's been true for uh, a long time, and it has gotten worse over the last year and a half. If you think about the challenges of, of COVID, if you think about the challenges of climate change, if you think about the, the challenges of conflict, all of those make it harder for girls in particular. They disproportionately impact girls.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, a member of the IWF Global Board and your host. So let's talk about life in leadership. Ten years ago, the United Nations formally declared October 11th as the International Day of the Girl Child, one day to focus our attention on the urgent need to recognize the unique challenges girls everywhere face to living healthy and fulfilling lives. And our guest today, Michelle Nunn, is on the front lines of the urgency and the enormity of that challenge. Michelle is the president and CEO of Care USA, one of the world's leading humanitarian organizations fighting global poverty and providing life-saving assistance in emergencies. Last year alone, Care worked in 100 countries, directly touching the lives of nearly 70 million people. She took the helm of Care USA after decades of civic and public service, including as the co founder of Hands On Atlanta, which eventually merged with Points of Light to create the world's largest organization dedicated to volunteer service. She's joining us today from her home in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Michelle.
0: Thanks so much. It's wonderful to be with you.
1: Well, Michelle, the challenges that girls face throughout the world today, almost from their very first breaths, are so enormous. So before we get into the specifics, would you give us some context, let's say, of the trends related to girls' safety and their health today that I'm sure keep you up at night? Yeah, there
0: are a lot of uh, extraordinary challenges that girls face around the world, and that's been true for uh, a long time, and it has gotten worse over the last year and a half. If you think about the challenges of, of COVID, if you think about the challenges of climate change, if you think about the, the challenges of conflict, all of those make it harder for girls in particular. They disproportionately impact girls. So let me give you a couple of examples. If you think about the the issues as it relates to climate, as an example, the okay. Malala Fund just came out with a report that said that, that 4 million girls have stopped going to school as a result of the displacement of climate. and. We know that wow. with COVID, as an example, that up to 20 million girls that that have, have left school because of COVID, you know, boys and girls have had to um, stop their schooling. It's had faced enormous disruptions and challenges around the world everywhere. But 20 million girls, a much higher percentage, are not mm-hmm. expected to be able to return. So... And and all of those things also make trends that are already very difficult. If you look at the statistics around gender based violence, for instance, one in five girls yeah. subject to gender based violence or child marriage is an example. Fifteen million girls each year that are married before the age of 18. All of those trends are made more more difficult because uh, they fall again disproportionately upon girls so. So we really do have to use this particular day and all of our days really to to ensure that we're fighting for the, the futures of girls.
1: Why do those big trends fall disproportionately in staggering numbers on girls?
0: Well, it's because women are already unequal. And so that is, you know, that's the challenge we see. We know that for instance, you know, there there's there are numbers and research that tell us that we're a hundred years away at best from gender equality. And we've got to to expedite that, obviously. But but again, if you think about a family that is facing issues of, for instance, economic insecurity that's been made worse because of conflict or because of COVID, they all too often will, in trying to secure the future of their, of their girl child, potentially have them married early before the age of 18, cutting them off from school, putting them in danger of maternal mortality, all of these things that, that just get worse. So we have, to, we have to strike at the root, which is around gender equality, because that's why so many of the challenges fall so disproportionately upon girl, the girl child.
1: You talk specifically about education and the 20 million girls um, that have left school and and you're saying a disproportionate number will, will never go back. Why is education maybe at the core of all of this work for education for girls and women?
0: Yeah. Well, and it's really, it's even worse than than the 20 million because you already have 130 million girls that are out of school. We have many more than that that have been out of school because of the disruption of COVID and then 20 million that won't go back that were in school. And so, but we all know that education is at the heart of our capacity for societies to prosper and to grow for people to be able to fulfill their human potential. There are amazing statistics that tell us that with every additional year of secondary um, education, a girl receives that she can increase her family and lifetime earnings by 10 to 15%. Um, We know that when a girl graduates from high school, that her children are uh, twice as likely to to make it to the age of five. So childhood mortality goes down when women and girls education goes up. So these these trajectories all tell us What we know and what makes sense, of course, is that, you know, you can't have you can't reach economic prosperity if half of your population is not able to realize their full potential and their full capacity to contribute. So there have been studies that tell us that you could increase global GDP by 25 percent plus if women and girls had equal access to education and to contribution.
1: You know, the, the research, the numbers that are staggering, and we've been hearing this for so long, and, and I sit here and, and wonder why, why, and not only uh, does it seem, do things not get better, I mean, I have a sense, and I'm wondering if you share it, that we're, we're slipping backwards
0: I hate to be um, the voice of despair, but I do think we have to take these trend lines seriously. And we are actually going backwards in terms of issues of hunger, issues of poverty, issues of conflict. and. Uh, and certainly, obviously, with the threat of climate. That being said, I think we can take heart in the fact that we know that when, for instance, girls have equal access to education, that we see enormous and transformational change in families, in communities, and nations. So we kind of know what the secret sauce is. We just need to make sure that we're actually working towards applying it. And and so I think, you know, that gives me hope. But I think we, we have to take the we have to take these daunting challenges really seriously. And we have to also recognize that that we can have a disproportionate impact in terms of addressing the this moment if we invest in girls.
1: You took the helm of care in 2015, as the president and CEO, you took it after decades of social activism, leadership, uh, particularly focused on engaging volunteers in social activism, and also as the first mother, I know you have a son and you have a daughter, to lead the organization. And I'm curious, Michelle, about how those experiences that you brought to this role have shaped your vision of how you hope to evolve and expand CARE's work.
0: Well, I have had the privilege of, of having a career that's been engaged with sort of the power of people to create change in some. And so I've experienced that directly myself. I have an amazing set of um, experiences that tell me that when, when you put people in the center and when you create the opportunity for them to change their own lives, that they go on to change their own lives, but also uh, the lives of the family members and community members who and and really, there's, un, you know, unlimited power in citizen action and engagement. So I, I think that, that that's very much at the heart of CARES work is, is the belief in the power of people to create change. As a mother, I, I certainly yes. have an, an appreciation for how important it is for us to invest in our children and I you know I want for all of the world's children to have some of the basics that we take for granted with my own children for instance the capacity for them to have access to health care you know I think about all of those times when we did late night visits to an emergency child you know health clinic which yeah um, incredibly, sometimes with quite simple things, but, you know, we, we lose uh, so many children every year to, to sort of issues around things that are, you know, that are quite preventable for diarrhea as an example, dehydration, malnutrition. We lose uh, 3 million children each year in, in terms of just the, just the challenge of malnutrition. We know that we can address this. And so I think that that definitely ignites my, my kind of commitment to, the, to this work and, and sense of, of solidarity with mothers everywhere who are concerned about what they uh, can provide for their children and ensuring that their children have, have an opportunity to, again, realize their full potential.
1: I know that you've also traveled extensively. Uh, you've studied and, and worked in more than a dozen countries from Peru to Namibia to Jordan and i'm i'm also interested in how your personal experiences i mean really deeply living and working in very different cultures has also helped you understand and perhaps to try to tackle the enormity of the task that you wake up to every morning
0: i take so much heart and so much inspiration from the people around the world that care works with and that i've had the privilege of 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 working with of engaging with of bearing witness to and uh, you know i think that what i see across so many different cultural differences and and seeing that is is really the richness of the of the sort of cultural diversity and tapestry of our global community is something that we need to to continue to i think both recognize and herald and lift up and celebrate and also uh, the common denominators that unite us all the the interest that mothers have around the world to feed their children, to ensure that they can go to school, you know, the, the whether it's in Somalia or whether it's in Ethiopia or whether it's in Guatemala, when I sit with the circle of women or Afghanistan, what they talk about is their, their capacity to ensure that, well, that they have the ability to support their children, to give them nutritious food, to ensure that they that they can go to school every day, and that they also want equal access for themselves for financial capacity to contribute, for financial inclusion, for a voice in their family and in their community. So uh, there is much that unites us and, uh, and that we can build upon.
1: You know, you specifically mentioned Afghanistan. And and the world's attention really right now is, is on the situation in that country, and and what we've witnessed in terms of a, like the boomerang of experiences, you know, that women have had there. Any lessons we can learn from that?
0: Absolutely, I think there's. There's great cause for, I think, um, concern about the difficulties that Afghanistan citizens are facing right now. I think being mindful that almost half of their population is in need of humanitarian assistance right now, and that I think they face a, a devastating winter season that we need to, as a global community, make sure that we stand in solidarity with those citizens. But as we also face into those challenges, a recognition, I think, that as one of my colleagues from afghanistan said you can't uneducate a girl and we've seen enormous strides in terms of girls education in terms of of women having access to university and we need to continue to stand with those afghanistan women and and those girls i i have a, a short story that that i've been telling to to folks because i think it gives us a spark of hope and also gives reason, I think, for us to continue to uh, fight for girls everywhere. When I was last in Afghanistan, I sat in a uh, community school and um, it was girls on one side, boys on one side, elementary school students so joyful at being in school, so enthusiastic and excited. It was a community that had not had access to elementary school. Parents were there. And uh, one of my colleagues cheekily asked the group they asked the kids who's the smartest in the class and um, a little girl without hesitation in the very back of the room stood up walked down the aisle, the, the sort of everybody parted, looked up at her. She came to the front and she said, I'm the smartest in the class. And everybody wow. uh, nodded in affirmation that she was surely the, the smartest in the class. And I think it was just a reminder that every child deserves the, the opportunity to to, you know, to, to, to realize their full potential. And that when we deny girls that we are denying our world so much, and we need to ensure that every, every girl has the capacity to walk down that aisle.
1: Oh my gosh. You know, that, that story gives me goosebumps because not only was that example there, but also you and I both know that it's so rare for girls, even here in the United States to, to, raised their hand and said I want that job. I want to be the leader. I'm the smartest one in this room. Exactly. Exactly. So just just a,
0: a great reminder of what's of what's possible in the world.
1: You know, your uh, amazing resume also includes running for the US Senate. And I and, and that's a big commitment to to tackle that one and I'm wondering why did you decide that that was an important thing to also do? Well, especially
0: on a day in which we want to celebrate girls and encourage them, I always love the opportunity to remind girls, remind women that we need them to enter into the arena of civic and political life, to be willing to raise their hands and say, I want that job and I'm willing to... To stand for this political office, so I ran in 2014. I was the Democratic nominee in Georgia for the U.S. Senate. It was an incredible experience—hard, but also really rewarding. And and I just think we need more women who are who are you know moms and who um, are young and old and at all different phases of life to. To make sure that we have the diverse perspective that truly reflects our communities, and uh, and so I I really love to remind girls that they should be thinking about political office as a part of their career journey and uh, and and consider it from the beginning. So it was it was definitely something that uh, that I can commend. And I and I didn't even win. So <laughs> imagine what what might be possible. But I think win or lose the experience and the exercise of, of practicing the arts of democracy is, are, is so important. And it is so important that, that again, that our leadership represent our communities fully.
1: I'm passionate about that issue also and, and it, it has to start you know, at the local level. And I've always thought that you know a great thing for women who are maybe stepping back from their career as they try to take care of their young children, a great thing to do is to maybe run for the school board, you know run for the local city council. those are not full-time jobs and mm-hmm. a place where they can start uh, building their, their political teeth and uh, getting that experience.
0: Absolutely, and that's if you look at so many of our of our political leaders, that's how they got their start. And um, as you say, I think that that we need women who are at the end of their careers, at the beginning of their careers, and we need moms, you know, and we need to f- ensure that we facilitate the capacity for women to run for office when they are raising children because that is so representative of what so many of their constituents are facing. So um, incredibly
1: important. And we can't just have men shaping the policy that affects all of our lives. You know, I want to take a couple minutes really just to get a sense of, of you as, a, as maybe a, a young woman or even a girl uh, looking back in terms of were there specific experiences, maybe specific people in your lives that you know now triggered perhaps your, your passion for uh, the work that you do? as well as for girls and women?
0: I had two parents that were amazing public servants. My dad actually served in the U.S. Senate for 24 years. My mom is an amazing civic volunteer and leader and was always a champion for for girls and for women's health issues. So right at home, I had amazing role models. I also, as as a girl, started volunteering and I was a mentor and I was Volunteered in a nursing home, and I volunteered in a summer enrichment program for kids who were living in a a place called Martha's Table in uh, DC. And uh, so I just I fell in love with the, the the I think the rewards of of service and being a part of a community through service. And uh, so I I really encourage girls to to build their own sense of, of agency and capacity for contribution from the very beginning, because there's nothing stopping you from making a difference right now when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, in high school or middle school, or even elementary school, bringing, I've brought my kids to, to, you know, to service projects. So starting young, I think, is a great way of, of creating a lifelong pattern of, of contribution and of, and of learning and of, of growing through service.
1: But of course, your father, um, an incredible, deeply respected, important leader, uh, Senator Nunn from Georgia.
0: Yeah, no, I have a great role model in him. And I do, I think we have to be grateful for all those amazing dads out there, like my dad, who are champions for their for their girls and who help them believe in their dreams and to pursue them.
1: Well, thank you for the important work that you do. How is care celebrating uh, the international day of the girl child are you doing anything special to market
0: we are doing a variety of things that uh, that are i think going to be really fun everything from uh, we have two sisters the botez sisters who uh, have a really a really popular twitch chess show and they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for care so they're they're going to be talking about how we get girls connected to technology and how we have equal access for girls in terms of, of, of technology. So everything from that to I'm handing over my social media to a a girl that care works with around the world so that they can show us how social media is truly done much, much more uh, better (laughs) equipped. And we're really, we're really going to use this opportunity. We're joining and adopting what UNICEF's theme to raise awareness around the gender digital divide, and especially as it relates to education and to girls. So we have a real opportunity to shine a light on some important issues for this year's International Day of the Girl.
1: Well, as we wrap up this opportunity to talk with you, what is your message for IWF leaders and our listeners throughout the world? about what each of us can do in addition to supporting organizations such as care financially, what can what can we do to help tackle this um, this mountain that we have to climb related to girls?
0: I think there's so much that we can all do right. Close to home, you know, that can be being a mentor to a girl, standing for girls' education, really um, being an advocate for some of the tra- transitions that we need in our own economy and policy making to ensure that we uh, truly do um, have a gender equality in our own society here in the United States, but also that we stand together globally in a I think, in a in a real um, spirit of solidarity, so that we recognize that girls everywhere need to be uh, on our minds for this international uh, day of the girl, and that so many girls, are are really uh, not given the opportunity they're walking down the wrong aisle before 18 it's not the aisle of the education uh, getting their diploma it's the marriage aisle before the age of 15 or 18 and and we need to stand for their rights to uh, to ensure their you know educational capacity for access and also their financial access as we as we move forward and that's everything from land to and inheritance rights to financial inclusion—almost a billion women that don't have access to to commercial savings or to banking. So there's just a lot that each of us can do as um, as direct volunteers, as advocates for change, as um, fundraisers, and as investors in the future of girls.
1: Your work is absolutely enormous. It's essential, and it's urgent. So. It was absolutely a pleasure to talk with you, Michelle Nunn, President and CEO of Care USA.
0: Thanks so much for the wonderful opportunity and for all the good work that the amazing members of IWF are doing around the world.
1: And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode of Game Changers our monthly conversation with trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum, a preeminent organization of 7,000 diverse women leaders and game changers from 33 nations and six continents. We hope you'll join us again as we talk about life in leadership.